0: I've been able to travel to 42 countries, preach all over the world. I've been able to see scores and scores of people saved. Two churches grow. Uh, My children grow up. All three go to West Coast Baptist College. I'm excited about serving the Lord in ministry. But this world's cold and impersonal. And the people that will be coming to your church are treated like a number. Monday morning, a lady, a single mom in our church, she came to our church and and uh, I, excuse me, she came to my office on Monday morning and didn't have an appointment and her eyes were bloodshot and, and uh, the, my secretary said, uh, uh, Tiffany needs to see you. And, and um, I said, okay. Uh, so uh, uh, Tiffany came into my office and, and a single mom of two just got laid off. She has, doesn't know what she's, what she's going to do. Life turned upside down, impersonal. Uh, in the corporate world, people are treated like numbers. And this has infiltrated the church. And may I tell you, people are not numbers. They're, they're real. And we see the story here. And, I, and, and you know the story, and our time will go by real quickly, but in Luke chapter 10, we know it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And I'd like to, I, I would like in this afternoon session to say this, is that we must realize that we're called to serve and we're called to care for other people. And if that, that would be my overriding philosophy as a pastor. And there's lots of components to that. Sermon preparation and preaching and visitation and answering correspondence. But oh, my overall philosophy of ministry is this. Is that I am called to serve and care for other people. Period. And then everything else has to fit into that. And I'm reminded of Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing but every man also in the things of other. Mark 9, verse 41. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. 1 John 4 and verse number 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Romans 12 and verse 10. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. These verses encapsulate my philosophy of of building a church, and that is, is that I am called to serve and care for other people. I'd like to give you five things that characterize an uncaring person, and then five things that are part of a caring person in our time this afternoon. We have this story in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 29. For the sake of time, we'll not read this story, but in verse number 25, we know there's a certain lawyer. A lawyer was not an attorney as we may think today, but he was an expert in the Old Testament law, a religious scholar. His his jobs in particular was to interpret Mosaic law and to guide people on how it related to their lives. And in verse 25, we see the man stood up. He was, he was going to confront or tempt or test Jesus. And he wasn't really interested in Jesus' teaching as much as he was in trying to trick him. And we know that Jesus um, would, often, uh, he, he would often turn their ridiculous religious riddles around on them. And he, and he asked the question, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, this was no, not so much seeking truth as it was a philosophy a philosophical play, an intellectual trap. In other words, the, the, the master in the Mosaic Law was, was saying, because you're supposed to be a great teacher, uh, tell me how to find life in its fullness and how to find true happiness now and for eternity. And then we know the story that Jesus tells about the parable uh, uh, of the Good Samaritan. Here's some thoughts that I'd like to share with you that come out of that story of the good Samaritan. Number one, uncaring people are too inflated. Uncaring people are too inflated. This means that I'm egotistical, I'm self-centered. And what we learn from that story is the priest and the Levite, they were busy, they were important men. At least they were important in their own minds. And uh, far too often we fail to care for those who are hurting because we we don't want any interruption in our plans. We don't comfort people or help them simply because we are overinflated with ourselves. (coughs) The call comes in at two o'clock in the morning on a Monday morning. I've preached four times that Sunday. I'm tired but someone needs me at the hospital. They call me as their pastor. I have a decision to make. My sleep, my schedule for the next day, some other pastor in our ministry can do it, or they call their pastor. And so I get out of bed and I go serve. The priest and the Levite, they were too busy with their lives to tend to the needs of this man who had been beaten and robbed. If you become a pastor of a church, whether it's a church plant or you're doing a replant or a small church, you cannot be the priest and the Levite that's full of your own self to the detriment of, of turning away people because you're not interested in helping them. Number two, uncaring people are too impetuous Uncaring people are too impetuous. We are always in a hurry. We seem to never have time for anything. I actually talked to a pastor just a couple of weeks ago and he said, uh, Pastor Armstrong, um, when do you do your devotions? He says, I just find I'm too busy to have my devotions. Well, something has to go. We have to have our devotions and our personal, private time with the Lord. But uncaring people or uncaring pastors are too impetuous and we're just too busy to do those things. And I believe both the priest and the Levite in this story, they passed by because they were were late for work. They were late to go to their next religious appointment. And after all, they had thousands of people depending on them in Jerusalem. And how often we fail to listen to the concerns of others simply because we're too busy. Some of you think, well, I can't wait to get out of college because I won't be so busy. Here I am, I'm studying for this project, and, and th- I'm preparing for this project, studying for this test, and, and I have to work, and I'm just so busy. I can't wait to get out of school because I won't be as busy. That's laughable. Um, last week, the week before Easter, I wasn't trying to, it just happened, over 80 hours worked. Ministry necessitates lots of hours. Uh, I, in order to see my wife last week before Easter Sunday, in order to see my wife, I had to take her with me on my visits, and, and we ate very quickly, um, um, and not one night did I get home. Not one night did I get home before 9 o'clock at night. But would you hear me? I love what I do. That's no complaint. And that's not to scare any of you. Oh, no, I'm going into ministry. I have to work 80 hours a week. Well, that's what it took last week to get ready for Easter Sunday and all the other situations going on in our ministry. But I love it. I love ministry because I get to be involved in the details of people's lives. I've met too many people just too busy Uncaring pastors or people are too isolated, number three. Uncaring people or pastors are too isolated. And pastors in churches have often become masters at this. Um, they, uh, pastors separate themselves by adding layers of production so that, <coughs> so that other church members can't see the real us. And um, we, we often are afraid to get involved in the details of other people's lives, um, Uh, because they may see something in our life. Pastor Johnson did a wonderful job in starting Tucson Baptist Church, and I'm thankful for his influence. But as soon as he finished preaching... He went straight to his office. He never went to the lobby to shake hands. He was never involved in the people's uh, lives. In fact, um, uh, before I became pastor, most of the church members had never set foot in Pastor Johnson's office unless there was a problem. And I said, that's a terrible reason to have to come to the pastor's office because there's a problem. I said, my office is open. It's welcome. I have the children come by every Sunday night to get candy. I, I want people to be in touch with their pastor. It's not always convenient, but my people know that I care about them. Another problem uh, that often invades churches is that uh, uncaring pastors are often too insulting. Number four, uncaring pastors or people are too insulting. They always think somebody else will help. Um, When some people hear about a problem in another person's life, uh, uh, instead of trying to be a help, they want to tell other people about the problem. I have learned through 25 years of ministry that, that really I don't need to tell anyone else about someone else's problem if they're not part of the solution. Because once I tell them about the problem, they become part of the problem. And, and I've learned that it is critical that we protect people who trust us with their problems. Um, but the fifth one is is the one that I'd like for all of us to truly grab hold of this afternoon. You guys are the millennial generation. Um, I'm old. My son, Jonathan, most of you know Jonathan. He's uh, he's working with me full-time now, and um, he graduates June 4th. Um, uh, he, he thinks his dad's an antique. I'm just 50, but he thinks his dad's old. I mean, he talks about things uh, on, on his iPhone and new apps and new this and new that, and he has to slow down for his, his old dad and explain how, how these things work. So don't miss number five. Too many pastors or uncaring pastors are inattentive. Inattentive. And I like to explain what I mean by that. In this era of uh, smartphones, iPads, every imaginable app out there, I find that many people are more interested in their next twitter update their next facebook post their next instagram picture than they really are getting involved in the lives of other people now i have a twitter account and i i i have the benefit of other people posting for me and taking pictures and posting and i have a instagram account and my secretary takes all the pictures and posts those Uh, um, and, uh, and I don't have a Facebook account. I'm really not interested in someone's having a happy day or a sad day, um, and so I just choose not to have Facebook. It's a personal choice. All, all, all the staff have Facebook accounts, but as a pastor, as a senior pastor talking to a group of young men, you can lose your ministry if your all, all, your whole focus is what's coming across your iPad or your iPhone and you fail to get out of your office or get out of Starbucks or get out of your comfort zone to go out and talk to people and get to know people. The ministry is about people. It is not about your iPhone. It's not about your Facebook account. It's not about your Twitter account. Now, I think, I do believe that all of those have a purpose, but that's not the ministry. The ministry is people. We've done surveys in our ministry and we found something that's really distressing. The perfect family, a husband, a wife, and two kids. The husband and wife's never been married uh, before they met each other. It's not a blended family. The perfect family doesn't exist anymore. It's a very, very small minority of the people that visit our church. You know who visits our church? On Sunday, we had 23 first-time visitors trust Christ and walk the aisle. It was a glorious day. And we had dozens of other visitors. In fact, we had uh, over 20 first-time visiting families that uh, we're now following up this week. We have a connection card, and we, we really get a lot of information from that connection card... And here's, here's what we discovered on this past Sunday. Just this, just this past Sunday, over 20 visiting families. Not one of them, not one, was the traditional husband, wife, children, family that's never been divorced. I, what we have is we have blended families with stepchildren. And we have single moms and we have single dads. We had a homosexual couple come Sunday. Now, some of our older people in our church... That made them a little uncomfortable. To me, it was exciting that they wanted to come and hear the gospel message. And we didn't sugarcoat the gospel message. We preached the Word of God Sunday, and they heard the gospel message. You know what I do know is that when they left, they're without excuse. They heard the gospel message. Now, in our visitation process, we've already made steps to follow up with them this week, and somebody on our staff will go visit them, and uh, we'll reach out to them because they are people that need the Lord. But here's what I'm finding is that the typical family is not coming to your church. Here's an, another amazing thing. I have decided that this year, 2016, so that I can fit in with the culture that's coming to our church, that I'm going to get tattoos. Because everyone that comes to visit our church now has tattoos. Up and down their arm, the ladies have tattoos, and I mean, in the piercings. I, what I'm saying is, is that the people we're ministering to, they're not the people that, that I grew up with when I was younger. This is your generation. Your generation is, is very much different than the generation I grew up in. And if all I'm interested in is my next Facebook post, my next Twitter account posting, or my next tweet, and my next Instagram, or my next Snapchat, if that's what I'm interested in and I miss the opportunity to minister to people, then those people are going to go somewhere else. And what we've seen is a transition in our ministry. We've seen these people that have tattoos and piercings, uh, get saved, get baptized, and they're now serving in our ministry. I've got a guy that's all tatted up and he was on drugs, strung out on drugs and, and the Lord saved him four years ago. He's went through our discipleship program and, and the, the best talents that he has left is be an usher, but he can talk the pain off of a wall and when a visitor comes in, he's the friendliest guy. Yes, he has tattoos and he's got uh, uh, holes where he had uh, earrings and all of that, but you know what? He is reaching people because he loves people. Amen. But I find a lot of times we, we get either alarmed by these people, we don't know how to talk to them or deal with them, and we hide behind our technological devices so that we don't have to actually get involved in the lives of people. Let me give you five things that I think we should have in our life. Um, first of all, uh, caring pastors set aside personal prejudices. Caring pastors set aside personal prejudices. Jesus tells us that the third man to come down the road was a Samaritan. We know the Samaritans were half-breed Jews. They were a race of people who had a Jewish ancestry on one side and Canaanite on the other. And because of the mixed blood, uh, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And because the Jews hated the Samaritans, the Samaritans hated them back. Jesus tells us this, this story so that we can learn something. And when people are hurting, it's a caring person who sets aside, sets, uh, sets aside personal prejudice. And here's what I do find. Jesus died for all races, all people of color, and every person of the different socioeconomic backgrounds that exist. And I think Jesus eloquently taught us that in the story of the good samaritan <clears throat> if your idea of going out to start a church plant is that you're going to have a certain type of person that you're going to recruit for your church you're going to be sadly delusional Delu- the delusion of that is going to bring back, bring by uh, sadness to your ministry when you realize that that's not even an ideal to pursue Oh, we have a different, we have all different types of ethnic backgrounds. We're uh, ministering to different types of people. Uh, We are not in a white area. Uh, We're in a a Hispanic area, uh, African refugee area. We have Indians. We have people from Myanmar. We have people from many different Latin American countries. And here's why people love our church we care about them. We don't have a personal prejudice wherever they come from, the language they speak. Um, I'd like to share something with you. Uh, we still wear suits in our church. We still use the King James Version of the Bible. And in the last seven years, we've had more than 800 people join our church. Now, we we live in Tucson, Arizona, where it's the most liberal city uh, in Arizona. Phoenix would be our conservative Republican base, and Tucson is our... Uh, uh, liberal, democratic base. Our mayor is is a, uh, is a Democrat. Our city council, men and women are Democrats. Um, and, uh, and our state senator and state representatives from our, from our city are Democrats. We live in a very liberal city. So I want you to hear that. 800 people in seven years have been saved and baptized, discipled and joined our church. And the overriding factor in all of that as we've cared about people. I tell our staff, in fact, it's on our staff notes every single week, the very bottom of our staff notes, this this sentence. If we do not steward the visitors that God gives us, why would He give us more? If we do not steward the visitors that God gives us, why would He give us more? Every person that walks through our door... Is an opportunity not only with the gospel message, but it's also an opportunity for a future church member once they're saved, baptized, discipled, and growing in our church. So I said we still wear suits. When I became the pastor uh, on my installation Sunday, there were uh, 275 or so people that Sunday. There may have been five people in a suit on that Sunday, may. Our church was um, a church that, uh, that, that uh, was very, very relaxed in its dress. In fact, there was a lady who was singing in the choir who was inappropriately dressed, and so some pictures from my installation uh, service seven years ago we can't, even, we can't even use because of the improper dress of the lady who was in the choir. In seven years, I've never preached a message about wearing a suit. In seven years, I have never preached one message about a woman uh, wearing a dress or a skirt to church. Not one time. But men who have the opportunity to preach this book, here's what I have preached. Is that we have repeated examples throughout the Old and New Testament that every time someone came to the temple or the church, they brought their best. And it's amazing to me that when you preach the principles of the Word of God people will follow. And now, in our youth group, it's amazing. Our young men, they look forward to dressing up every Sunday. Every one of our ushers is in a suit. All, uh, many of our men are in a suit. You say, well, does a suit make you a better church? Absolutely not. But here's what I will say. They will follow the leadership of the pastor who cares about them. So set aside some of those personal prejudices and and be, be the leader caring for your people and see what the Lord does. I, I really am tired of the movement that's going on today in some of our circles where some of the guys who may even preach from the King James, here's, what the, here's, what, here's their philosophy of ministry. I have to be like the world to reach the world. And it's not biblical. I wish all of you would hear that. We've had 800 people in a liberal city. Trust Christ, join our church in seven years. And um, we've been super conservative about it. And we haven't had to try to go be like the world to do it. And, um, and a caring pastor sets aside those personal prejudices. Realize my responsibility is to um, meet the needs of people. Number two, caring pastors notice personal pain. Caring pastors notice personal pain. Our people are hurting today. They're yelled at in the job. They're dismissed in the job place. Families are a wreck. I'm here to tell you from personal experience that most families are in some type of personal crisis, financially, socially, in their workplace, even in their church relationships, And we as pastors have to notice and recognize personal pain. In Luke chapter 10, I think it's interesting, is that it was the Samaritan when he came where he was that he saw him. And unlike the priest and the Levite, it seems that the Samaritan came over and he took the time to inspect the man, to look at him. We can never be too busy to stop and take the time to hear people's issues, their heartaches and what's going on, and show them that we care. And so this good Samaritan, he disregarded his own safety, and he went over and he saw the beaten man that was naked and half-dressed, and, um, and he was left near dead. What a great example that sometimes we have to stop and take the time to see what is wrong in someone's life in order to be able to help them. Number three, caring pastors take time to be pleasant providers. Caring pastors take time to be pleasant providers. We certainly know the story how the Good Samaritan was a a great provider. He even paid the man's bill. I don't need to retell you that story, but here's what what I would like to say when it comes to the church and the philosophy behind a church is that we must recognize the needs that people have and look for ways to provide for their needs with a pleasant Disposition. You may have just gotten out of a really difficult counseling session with someone that you're frustrated with. You can't carry that frustration over into the next person that you deal with. Um, There's a lot of pastors that's bitter and angry about the calling of God on their life. I could name names uh, this afternoon of pastors that, why would I ever want to go to their church? They're just so salty. Like, are you... Are you an example of what a Christian is? You're you're just jaded and you're bitter. I've asked the Lord if I ever become like that, that he would go ahead and remove me from uh, being in ministry because it's a terrible example. Every time someone's willing to share a need and you have an opportunity to hear that need, first and foremost, you have an opportunity to pray for them. And a lot of times that is uh, all that someone's looking for is just someone that will care and pray for them. And in other ways that God will... Work in your spirit to help meet a need. A fourth thing, caring pastors passionately participate. Caring pastors passionately participate in the lives of of your people. Um, In our culture, it's so easy to be isolated. It's easy to look the other way when we see a person with problems. It's easy to refer someone just to a relief organization. It's easy to forget to pray for those people that come by your church and are looking for help. It's easy to pass on someone who's having a difficult time to someone else. But if you want to see your church grow, if you want to see a church that that will thrive, you must be willing to passionately participate in the lives of people. Will you get burned sometimes? Absolutely. But will there be great victories and rewards along the way when when someone's life is radically changed? Absolutely. Here's what I find in the life of Jesus. He always got involved. Jesus always got involved. And we need to be willing to passionately participate in the lives of people that God brings our way. The last thing I'd like to say, number 10 here, is that caring pastors are not politicians. Caring pastors are not pretentious politicians, if you will. Notice the Bible says on the next day when the Samaritan got ready to leave that he he paid the innkeeper two pence and he said this, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay you. May I remind us that Jesus is not stingy either. And all it takes is talking with him and perhaps a time of prayer and and, uh, uh, perhaps a a time when we just stop and we realize Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin hath left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. May we be reminded what Jesus did for us. And so therefore, may we not act as some politician always trying to be politically correct. Preach the word, but love people. Just because two homosexual men came and visited our church this past Sunday does not mean that we're not going to preach the word. We're not going to stick our finger up in the air and see what do, what do our people want to hear. We're going to preach the word. Jesus turned to the lawyer in verse thirty six and verse thirty seven. He said, "Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves?" And the lawyer answered, "He that showed mercy, or he that cared on him." And Jesus said, "Go, do likewise." I have six, uh, I just have a few minutes, but I have six steps how you can take this philosophy of being an uncaring or caring pastor, six steps where you can become a caring pastor in a church plane. Number one, identify people who need your care. Identify people who need your care. Sit down, talk to people, listen to what's on the hearts of people. Don't be so worried about going to check your phone to see what the ballgame score is that you miss the fact that somebody's sharing their heart with you. Don't have to run to your office so you can hide from someone who wants to share a burden with you. Identify people who need your care. Number two, reach out. Don't wait for them to come to you. Reach out. Don't wait for them to come to you. In church... Shake someone's hand. Look them eyeball to eyeball. Give them a a hug. Let them know that you care about them. Um, I know that a lot of times in different parts of the country, you you may have uh, uh, some cultural things. uh, Whether you don't hug people, you don't shake hands. Here's what I find. A warm handshake will absolutely bring walls down when you look them eyeball to eyeball and thank them for being in your church. Is there anything I could do to help you? Uh, How did you hear about our church? People want to talk to you. People want you to care about them. Go to people uh, before they have to come to you. Number three, communicate beyond the superficial. Communicate beyond the superficial. Sure is a nice day outside. Thanks for coming today as you move on to your next person. Learn to ask direct questions of people. How did you hear about our church? Was there anything in the message today that, uh, that we need to talk about? Could I come by and visit you in your house and tell you a little bit about our church? Too many pastors are just superficial going through the motions. And I find if I take just a few extra minutes and try to get to know someone... It's amazing how much they relax and it's amazing how welcoming they are when we come the next week to visit them in their home and it's amazing how the, the this, this stuff just comes uh, out of them uh, about all the problems and all the anxieties that are there and, and they're looking to me suddenly as the one who can help fix those. But if all you can talk about is the weather and... The Los Angeles Lakers or the Atlanta Braves or whatever region of the country, whatever sports that you're interested in, it doesn't get you very far in helping people. Number four, empathize with people. Empathize with people. The Bible still says that we're to bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let people know that you're willing to help them and, and, and they're having a surgery and, and they're anxious about it. And, and go sit with them. Uh, they, they have a, 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 a distressing doctor's visit where they're going to get bad news. Be willing to go. There's a death in the family. Offer to go and just sit and offer counsel and advice. Make yourself available. Empathize with people's situations. It's not just about getting them to come. Okay, I had 50 visitors on Sunday, and, and then they leave, it. you never do anything with them. Empathize. Get to know people. Number five, listen without judging. Listen without judging. I am amazed that the people who come through our doors now have no idea what the word salvation means. These people have never heard the word regeneration. If they have heard the word baptism, in our city anyway, it's in the context of Catholicism. Our people have never heard words like born again. And so... Actually, I've had to learn to listen to people without judging them. As, Man, you guys are really ignorant. Did you never go to school? Uh, did you never have vacation Bible school? Did you never go to Sunday school? Our People today are ignorant of what you've learned in four years of college or a lifetime of being in church and college. And so we need to listen and then, every time necessary, go back and start at the beginning and explain why we're doing, why we believe what we believe, um, and when we do that, when we, when we empathize and then we listen without judging, it causes that person to open up and they know they're not being judged because, because uh, they don't know everything we know. The sixth thing is, is um, respond always to everyone who comes to your church. Respond always, to everyone that comes to your church. And whether it's a gift or whether it's a card, whether it's a a text, whether it's a phone call, whether it's a visit, no one should ever come to your church without hearing from you. Now, here's what I've tried to, to discuss this afternoon. In my own personal philosophy of ministry in planting a church or replanting a church, Tucson Baptist Church, the overriding philosophy is that I want to serve my community and show them that I care for them. And and really, I use Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan, as my foundational principle that it doesn't matter who that person is if I can reach them with a gospel message. And may I challenge all of you to take these simple principles, and they are simple, but if you're not willing to do the simple things, you'll never have a church that's going to grow and be used as it could be if you're not willing to care and serve the people of your community. Let's stand together. Thank you so much for your great attention. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be with the students and church planners. I pray that something may reinforce, something that's been taught in a class or a, perhaps a weekend ministry. Maybe it's been a challenge, uh, just something that can help a student as they're getting ready to go out and plan a church. I know that many are concerned about projects, tests, quizzes, workloads. I pray, Father in heaven, that you would meet those needs. Bless the students now as they go their different ways. I pray that you will use this this graduating class here at West Coast Baptist College to turn our United States of America upside down. So use them in a great way. In Jesus' name, amen.